Don't you just love the family room this morning? I love the sense of God's nearness and presence. You know, when I think often about God, he's a family man. He calls himself Father because he deeply cares for everything going on our lives. He leads, guides, protects, comforts, speaks kindly to us. He's a Father. But in the family of God, we have not only the Father, but we have the Son, we have Jesus. Hebrews calls him our elder brother. Jesus is the hero of the family. Everything about him is perfect and wonderful, and it's who all the other kids want to be like, right? Jesus is the hero of the family and becomes the head of the house. And the Holy Spirit is that nurturer, the mother-like quality of God, the one who comforts, who heals, who restores, who calls close, and the one that's always with us. God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the family of God. And I'm just so grateful that in the quietness that we can kind of align again to that. And so... Before I share the word, I just want to pray that again. If you're feeling far from God right now, I want you to know that God's a Father. If you don't know which way to go, the Holy Spirit is willing to take you by the hand and guide you. If you need a hero, how do I live life? What do I do? What are the answers? You look at Jesus, his life and his perfection. And so I want to pray again before we open the word. Lord, Thank you for the family room. Thank you that you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Thank you that you comfort and heal and restore and lead and guide and you take us by the hand. Thank you that you're so generous. You're lavish in your love. You're so lavish that you died on a cross bearing my sin and our sin. You rose from the dead declaring your power over sin that we might be free to walk in union and communion with you. And so we come again this morning back to you. We come to you for the first time and we say we need you and we are grateful that you are in and among your people even now. So thank you. And Lord, we do thank you that you've given us your word. As we open up your word today and your fresh word to us as a community. I pray, God, when we hear your voice and respond fully to you, pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Owen. It's a beautiful piano. And uh, I'll share a little bit more of the sovereignty of God, how that ended up here and why we're here. Well, hey, today is September 11th, 2022. And my question to you is, where were you on September 11th, 2001? If you're up in the ball over there, you weren't alive. Uh, But the reality of that day ended up changing the world as we know it. Whether you understand that or not, or whether you're very aware of it or not, September 11th was a game changer for how we looked at the world and uh, world events that have unfolded um, even today. Um, I want to tell you where we were, where Laura and I and our kids were on that day. But to back up, I want to back you up to August the 3rd uh, of that same year, 2001, a month earlier. And we are driving back from vacation. And I get a phone call from Don Manileas, who was our administrator for uh, our international work. And she 
uh, called me and she said, we've got a problem in Afghanistan. Um, two of our missionaries, Heather Mercer and Dana Curry, who both went to Baylor. Um, there they are coming out of Baylor. And uh, they were there serving on our team. They were serving the poor, serving the orphans, serving the widow, risking their lives, laying their lives down for the gospel. And um, in the midst of that, uh, a guy named Muhammad Omar, who was the president of the Taliban of Afghanistan, uh, under the leadership of a guy that the world did not know at that time named Osama bin Laden, they had sent out an edict to all the foreign workers, uh, threatening their lives if they share the gospel, threatening their lives if anyone converts. And then they began to pick people up and they took our two ladies and six other foreigners and 24 Afghans into prison. So get this phone call. Our friends are in prison. And immediately, without even thinking, my response was, Don, call all the life group leaders to get up to the prayer room and pray. Because where we were in 2001 as a new church plant, everybody was committed to a personal devotional life. If there was anything we taught about over and over again, it was how can we get you to Jesus in word, worship, and prayer? How can you be anchored in in a life-giving way? And then everybody prayed in life group. They, we met house to house. Uh, we actually were, uh, had been traveling around all over the city, and so it was so important that life group was the centerpiece of our community. And in those communities, people were praying, man, if somebody came with a burden, we, we felt confident we could pray for you and carry you through your tough time. If somebody needed a breakthrough in life, needed healing mentally or physically or emotionally, felt like in those house to house meetings, we knew how to pray and, and care for people and see God give the breakthroughs. And then corporately, we had a prayer room. Uh, it was actually in the old building and we daily, there were weekly prayer meetings in there and prayer meetings all over the city. And, and we were praying. So it was very normal just to say, Hey, everybody come on up to the, to the church and pray. The one caveat was that we weren't, weren't able to communicate it out with everyone in the congregation or everyone in our city because there were negotiations immediately happening between the Taliban and the U.S. government to try to get our ladies out of prison. And uh, I would go from uh, uh, that vacation getting here at midnight, and by the time I got here, the prayer room was full. And it would be full for 104 straight days, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, mainly from our own congregation, but other people in the city would join us and would pray together. And out of that 104 days of prayer, we would eventually see our friends set free from prison. Now, in the midst of that journey, many people would come to me and they'd say, well, you know, I know you're praying for them to get out of prison, but what if they don't? <laughs> What, what, if, what if they die? What, what, do you, what is the concern or what, what, how do you deal with all that? And I said, well, there's, there's, I've often said this, there's, there were three main, main biblical frameworks for that kind of prayer. Um, and number one was we pray for them and they end up giving their lives for what they believe, for preaching the gospel and loving Afghans. And the, I know one theologian writes it this way and says that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the gospel. When someone sacrifices their life, God makes sure that there is a harvest on the other side, that they were willing to do that. They had already laid their lives down. The second thing that happens in scripture when you pray for people that are in prison is, um, is number two, sometimes they stay in prison a really long time and write a bunch of letters that then are given out for the world to, care, to, to uh, enjoy from even now. 
Those who chuckled a little bit know that that's the Bible. Okay, so the New Testament was written predominantly from prison. Then thirdly, and this was our contending, was out of Acts chapter 12, verse 5. And this is what we were trusting. Peter, one of the leaders, was imprisoned. uh, And it says in Acts 12, verse 5, So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently, everybody say fervently, by the church to God. And then we go down to verse seven, it says, and behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and it struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. That's what we were contending for. Acts chapter 12. We want the chains to break off. We're going to pray fervently until proven otherwise. And we actually got to not only experience that, but then when they, the night they got out of prison, um, uh, um, president Bush has a ranch in Crawford, Texas. If you don't know that president Bush was the president at the time and he was having a meeting with president Putin. They're having a summit and all the world press was in town. And so then the world press, uh, didn't have anything to do that night. And it, it became major news in every network that two American, uh, aid workers were released from prison. It was on every network everywhere. And all the world press started to show up at our church and spontaneously, just like I challenged everybody just to come to the prayer room and pray. And we did that so joyfully and faithfully. We began to get word out to everybody. Hey, just come on up to the church. Let's celebrate. They're out of prison. God has answered our prayers. Our friends have been set free. And everybody starts running into the, into our, um, um, what do you call it? Auditorium. And as they ran into the auditorium, the world press starts showing up like crazy too. And they're asking, we want an interview. We want an interview now. And I said, well, listen, why don't you guys just set up all your mics and all that stuff and we'll do one live interview and then, um, and then I'll do personal interviews. So everybody's running in and they're jumping and they're shouting. And I tell James Mark, James Mark, just grab like a little sound box deal and let's get up and let's worship. And we start worshiping. Everybody's dancing around and all the world press is freaking out. I mean, they have their cameras like, whoa, I mean, this is amazing. And we're jumping and shouting and praising God. And then it comes time to give them the statement, you know, of gratitude. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting on the front row and I realize all this time, they've not let me share the gospel. I've shared the gospel to many of these press corps, but they've not put it in writing. And so I said, this is it. We're going live. And they say, live from Waco, Texas. I get up there. I said, first of all, we want to thank our Lord Jesus Christ who loved us, who saved us, who died on a cross and rose from the dead. And that is Dana's testimony. That is Heather's testimony. And in many different ways over that next couple of minutes, I was able to share the gospel boldly. And then of course it would go on and on from there. And as they got out of prison, not only were they able to share the gospel, um, not only were they able to share their testimony everywhere they went, but it would go ultimately to millions of people, even to the White House. They have a picture of them with President Bush, and they met him, and then they were brought out to the Rose Garden and were able to make statements to the world. And in their statements, they thanked a God for the answers to prayer. They thanked their Lord Jesus Christ for saving them and, and setting them free. And of course, we thanked the work of the American government and others that labored alongside to see them set free. But there was a beautiful testimony, not just of our church getting to see prisoners set free, but ultimately that, that prison, those prison cells were not only open to our friends, but it would open to the orphan and the widow. And in a window of time, up until just recently, there were literally 
literally first tens, then hundreds, then thousands of Afghans that came to know Jesus. And it wasn't just because we prayed. Now back to 9-11, because on 9-11, I was coming up to the church. My phone starts blowing up. We get a TV out here and, and, our, and, and to see what was going on. We see the second plane hit the, the Twin Towers. Our hearts are broken. We're, people are crying. We're praying. We're calling out to God. But we realize our friends are in prison under this evil regime that has been behind what's going on right here, Lord, we have to double down on prayer even more. But in that window of time, the next day, it became what had been private, now became public, back to the world press, they're all here. And one particular guy from the Austin American Statesman, not the most uh, God-fearing newspaper in America, but it is a, a newspaper that uh, a guy had a heart for the, for the girls. And he said, um, man, I'm just shocked that two young ladies would be aid workers, would give themselves and risk their lives for what they believe in. And he said, I don't believe in God or anything, but what's the message you want to tell people how to help them? And so I tell their story of their lives and God's restoration of their lives. And I said, really what I would ask is, that, could you ask people to pray around the world? And so a front page of the Austin American Statesman, two folds in the middle of the paper, this, uh, this uh, word gets out through the news and then it begins to be picked up by search engines at the time. And literally within a couple of days, millions of people had read the article or, or understood what was going on among our friends and began to pray. I got calls from Germany and Malaysia and Russia and Thailand. All over the world, we would get calls. People would join us saying, we're having prayer meetings. We're seeking God. And we would always say, don't just pray for our friends released from prison, but pray for who they came to give their lives for. Pray for the Afghan and the orphan and the widow to be set free. Wow. God is always doing more than we could even ask or think in prayer than we could even imagine. And that 104 days of prayer, as we were preparing to launch this series, which I believe is for this moment in history, not just uh, Antioch, not just Waco, but I believe there's an invitation of God at this point in history that if we will pray and partner with him in this hour, there will be a catalytic move of the Holy Spirit that people are longing for and needing, not only here, but in the nations of the earth. This is always how God works. When God is going, wanting to move, he taps people on the shoulder to pray. It is the history of revival worldwide. And I just want you to know, God is tapping you on the shoulder today. He's inviting you in to come and pray with him, to come and meet with him, to come and partner with him like never before, because who knows what God might do. Even today, some 21 years later, I still on a monthly basis get a testimony of somebody that was rocked by God, somebody that was transformed by the story of our friends getting set free from prison. Now, I don't know where you are today. You may feel like you're in prison and you're like, man, that's a big story with a lot of big stuff. But I want you to know it was just people like you in this room. It was just us, right? We just had men and women, moms and dads and friends and coworkers and construction workers. Everybody just took a uh, an hour in the prayer room. That was just what we did because we were a part of a community, just simple people simply praying and calling out to God. That's always been the way God works. It's not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. So if you feel like a fool today, you're in a great place for God to use you. God is reestablishing a house of prayer in this hour, in and through 
our lives because he wants to show himself. He wants to show up for us personally. He wants to show up in our city. He wants to show up in our world. But you also may be in a place today and you're saying, man, I feel far from God. Listen, I've tried to pray, but I feel far from God. I want you to know that God sees you. He knows you. He hurts with you and he's making a way for you to come close. You may say today, hey, I prayed for my marriage and it's still falling apart. I prayed for somebody who was sick and they didn't make it and I'm grieving that loss. I'm not sure how prayer works. I'm not sure how it all works out. But listen, my encouragement is I beg you. I literally beg you, whatever I need, if I could get down on my knees, if I could cry, whatever I need to do to help you take the journey with us the next 12 weeks. We are gonna be gracious, generous, and, and slow to just move us all in to have meaningful devotional lives, learn what it means to carry one another's burdens, to do, have breakthrough prayer, and learn what it means corporately to become a 24-7 prayer movement again for the glory of God. All right, what is prayer? You ready? I love this definition. Prayer is union with God through praise, worship, and thanksgiving. When we praise the Lord, when we sing to Jesus, when we thank God for what he has done, that is prayer. It's, a, it's an incense. It's, it's expressing to God our hearts. It's a place of worship, thanksgiving, and gratitude. That's how we enter the courts of the Lord. That is prayer, union with God, and communion with him, walking and talking with God. Prayers is simply is just breathing. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. It's not way out there and esoteric, and I don't know all this and that and the other. Yes, there are things to learn in prayer, but the simplicity of prayer is I am a simple man in need of God. I talk to God, and he talks to me. We're going to learn how to do that even more. And lastly, then we partner with him to see his plans come to pass. God is always wanting to move, to show up, to give people a way forward, a way of help, a way of knowing his presence, but he's looking for partners who partner with him to see his plans come to pass. We got to be his partners through our friends being in prison in Afghanistan, and we got to see the prisoners set free, and it wasn't just one person's testimony, it was a community testimony. So prayer in its simplistic form is union with God, communion with God, and partnership with God for the glory of God. Now, let me just do this. Let me go, uh, just start in Genesis and go all the way through Revelations on prayer in his presence. We go with that? All right, here we go. This is going to be in about five, 10 minutes. All right, here we go. Adam and Eve walk and talk with God. <laughs> I had, I, years ago, I heard this guy preach and it's never gotten out of my heart. I prayed the same prayer. He said he, he was reading Genesis 1 about Adam and Eve walking and talking with God, and he was, uh, was kind of out by himself on a, on a retreat setting, and he began to cry out to God. He said, God, you want somebody to talk to again? How about me, God? I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you like Adam talked to you. Nobody wants to talk to you anymore. I want to talk to you. If you need somebody to talk to again, Lord, I'm him. I'm your man. Come talk to me. I want to talk and walk with you as Adam did. Isn't that a great prayer? God, I'm here. I want to be one of those that walk and talk with you. 
Adam and Eve walk and talk with God. The, the, of, the, of the many, many things of the damage of sin, the greatest one was that uh, we were blocked from the knowledge of God because of going our own way. We couldn't see God. And, and of course, we've talked many times out of Genesis 3 where, where God cries out, Adam, where are you? He cries out. Of course he knew where Adam was. He's God. He could see everything. But what was he saying? What happened to our relationship? We walked and talked, and now you've gone your own way, and you can't see me anymore. The grieving of God. But of course, God continues to make a way for us to know him, even in the midst of sin. And we see God speaking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they would create altars for God. Their, way, their place of praise and prayer would be when God would speak, then they would create an altar and remember that he spoke so they'd have strength for wherever they were going and whatever they were doing. We see in the, in the story, one of the stories in Jacob in Genesis 28, Jacob comes to a certain place. He's on a journey and God visits him in a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder of angels coming and going from heaven. And he's astounded by that. And he wakes up and, uh, and, and he says this, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. So in this dream, God's showing him that there's an open heaven if he could just see it. And he sees it in a dream and he says, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. What if... Not what if, because it is true. What if there is an unhindered place between you and God that you can both talk to him and receive from him, walk up and down, if you will, into that heavenly reality? What if that were true and you didn't know it? I can tell you that it is true. <laughs> the throne of grace is wide open that we might receive mercy and help in our time. We can walk into the throne of grace, even with our sin. The sin will be revealed. We confess our sin. He cleanses us, and then we enter into worship into his presence unhindered. Can I just say that Waco, Texas is one of those thin places. I was just talking to a woman from uh, California that just moved here, and she said, I invite my friends just to come be in the city because it's a thin place between heaven and earth. What if that was true and you didn't know it, right? Many times we just seem to be aware of what God has provided, be aware of what's going on around us. Jacob said, I didn't even know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place that God is visiting where I am? There is none, this must be none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar, poured oil on its top, and he called the name of the place Bethel, which means house of God. Woo! Now listen, my house is Bethel. Your house, if you choose for it to be, is a house of God. Your workplace is a house of God. Wherever you go in the name of Jesus, you can declare Bethel, this must surely be the house of God because I have consecrated this place unto him and, and God will move in this place. He will bring peace in this place. He'll bring hope and help. That's why we wanna clear all the junk out of our house that doesn't honor God so that the rule and reign of God is comfortable there and is invited there. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you, wherever your space or place is, God wants to make it a Bethel, a house of God. 
by his grace. Then we see God speaking to Moses. Moses leads the children of Israel out. They, they're, they're on their way to the promised land and God speaks to Moses and said, hey, I want you to set up a tabernacle, a tent of meeting. And I want the Israelites to gather around this tent of meeting and the priests will go in and worship me. And there's this place called the Holy of Holies. And over the Holy of Holies, it said there was a cloud by day and fire by night. We talked about this often. So if you were working in the fields and you were an Israelite, and so the tabernacle's in the middle of your land and you're out working in the field and you say, I wonder if God's real. Then all you gotta do is look over at the tabernacle and there's a fireball over there. I guess he is real. Or uh, I wonder if God's present. You see a cloud. You say, okay, he's present. Do you know that that tabernacle, that, that, that reality of the cloud by day, the fire by night has now been given by the Holy Spirit if we would just be aware. Are we aware of God's presence? Moses uh, meets with God at the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and it becomes a place where the people know that God is with them. We see David, uh, uh, King David, of course, uh, the, the, the lover of God, saying the first thing I have to do that now I'm crowned king is to get the Ark of the Covenant, get the presence of God into Jerusalem, into our, into our house. And I love in Psalm 24, as he was bringing the Ark into, uh, they believe that that Psalm was written as he was bringing the Ark in, and he said, open up you gates, open up you doors that the King of glory may come in. And he would establish what was called the tabernacle of David. And they would consistent singers and worshipers and people praying day and night. That's where we get this whole idea of 24-7 prayer. We want the altar to be lit all the time so the presence of God is available for everyone whenever they need it. That's what's David in the tabernacle of David. The Holy Spirit would fall on prophets, priests, and kings throughout the Old Testament. But then, but then, everybody say, but then. Jesus, <laughs> if God's glory dealt through a box in a holy place in a temple in the old covenant, Jesus is the temple of God. He is the glory of God. He houses union, communion, and partnership with God as a man, but he is God himself. So he houses the glory and the presence of God everywhere he goes. And he teaches and he trains his, his guys and gals and he trains them along the way. And then he knows, though, that just their training isn't going to be enough. They need to house the presence of God also. And so as he ascends to the Father, he promises the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then the coming of the Holy Spirit comes to seal us, and the coming of the Holy Spirit comes to come empower on us, and then we become the temple of God. The temple of God was a place. Now the temple of God was a person, Jesus. And now the temple of God is a people called the church. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And that you're not your own, for you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now this is the one that makes me, I have a difficulty not jumping out of my skin, like literally staying self-controlled here, because here's the deal. God has put his presence within me. What was the cloud by day and the fire by night? What was the mercy seat and the, the ark of the covenant and the holiness of God? What was in G, what Jesus not only housed, but displayed and honored is now in his people by his choosing and by his doing. The power of the Holy Spirit makes us the temple of God. And when we gather together in the name of Jesus, his presence is there by his choosing and doing. And when we do that corporately, there is a a unity and an agreement that is so powerful that it literally can shape and change the world, let alone shape and change lives. This is the reality of the gospel. 
I recently thought of this illustration. You know, I have a friend who has a Tesla and every once in a while, I love to borrow the Tesla and go to a road where the speed limit is 70 miles an hour, just so you know, and take it from scratch to sit to 70. You can do it in about 2.3 seconds. That's amazing. It's like the roller, it, I mean, literally it's amazing. It's really great. Anyway, okay. Uh, <laughs> great to borrow that Tesla. The power in that engine is amazing. So when I think about our Christian walk, we often think of God this way. God, I need a little help. Hope God's around today. Man, need a little money, need a little this, need a little that. And we do, right? But it would be like this. It's like you're walking around saying, I wonder if God's really good. And you're walking around a Tesla. Like you're walking around this powerful, beautiful machine you've been given. You're walking around, man, I hope I, go, I hope I get from point A to point B. Hope I can get there fast enough. Probably going to be late. Probably not going to make it. Oh no. Oh, the Eeyore of God. That's me. <laughs> but I'm walking around the Tesla and God's saying, I've given you a Tesla. Get in the thing and go. Let's go. Let's go. There's power that has been given by God. This isn't me trying to convince you of anything. This is God by his choosing, knowing that we were weak, put himself inside of us so there would be no excuse to be powerless. Woo, I don't know if you heard that. God put himself inside of us so there would be no excuse for, not, for being powerless. And listen, we have challenge, we have grief, we have loss, we have persecution, we have challenge. There's so many things in this life and that does not minimize those. What it does though is say, but God will be with you in the midst of the challenge if you know and are aware that he is here. Woo. Wow. He is here. So when we talk about re-engaging and reestablishing a house of prayer among our community, and I believe uh, in our city, um, we literally are just getting in line with what God has already provided and said to do. The Isaiah prophesied this about us, God's people in the church, in Isaiah 56, verse seven, even those, and I put in parentheses, my church, my people, I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice will be acceptable on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. <laughs> this house shall be called a house of prayer again for all the nations. That's who we are. And when we partner with God and who we are, he always backs it up with power and joy to do it. God is so generous when we talk about prayer, so many times we're like, oh, I gotta go to a prayer meeting. And I'm like, man, you missed the whole deal. I mean, what, what prayer meeting are you going to? I'm, I'm, I'm going to meet with the living God. We're gonna worship and we're gonna pray and connect with Jesus. And then we're gonna pull out the word and pray his word back to him with great joy and expectation. At the very least, he's gonna strengthen us. At the very most, we're gonna get the breakthrough that we pray. He wants to make us joyful in the house of prayer. Jesus picks up this deal, but he wasn't quite as joyful. Um, he walked into the temple 
And he got angry. Probably one of the only places where Jesus got aggressively angry, outwardly angry. He throws up the, throws the uh, tables over the money changers and everybody's selling and buying and around the temple. And he begins to cry out, listen, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you made it a robber's den. Basically, you've made it everything but the centrality of worship to my father and the establishment of the glory of God so that can people know where God is and what he's about. You can't do this. And so he threw out everything that did not allow God's glory to be present, right? I had this little thing uh, that I, I wrote. It, it's in our kitchen. It's literally just on a little sheet of paper with a marker. And it was a clean out the house and close the gates so the king of glory may come in. Clean out the house, close the gates of the enemy so that the presence and glory of God can come. That is what Jesus is saying to us as a people. I wanna make you a house of prayer. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you everything you need, not just to be a house of prayer for you to personally be strengthened, though that is central. He is with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. His nurturing care for us is central but it also has a destination and that's not only for you, but for them. So you got a little card when you came in, establishing a house of prayer, got three key anchor points that we're, that we're gonna be going over. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say this ahead of time, this little phrase. We are a Psalm 27 for people who are committed to a 24 seven prayer movement that ignites a 24 14 outcome. There you go. Lot said there. I'm going to revisit that. We are Psalm 27 for people who are committed to a 24-7 prayer movement that ignites a Matthew 24-14 outcome. Now, I'm going to make that make sense for you here because you see it on the card, but I want, it, want, it, want to clarify it. Here's what Psalm 27 for says. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Now, there's many things in the scripture that God's called us to do. He's called us to be mothers and fathers. He's called us to be disciple makers. He's called us to be holy. He's called us to be industrious. All these beautiful things called us to be givers. There's many things. There's not just one thing that he's asked us to do. But what David is saying, of all the things I could choose first and of most importance, I am choosing to meditate on God. What we know is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to be enamored with him. This Psalm 27, 4, this one thing I've asked of the Lord, that I shall seek. Um, this Psalm 27, 4 is written in the midst of conflict in David's life. He has wars going on. He has people coming against him. There's challenges in every direction in his life. And in the middle of that, he says, I've got to find an anchor point. This one thing I've asked of the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may behold and meditate on the beauty of the Lord, meditate in his temple. And when we think about the beauty of God, all that is is the character of God, the nature of God. Again, beauty may be a hard word for you. Well, golly, you know, I look at beautiful people or beautiful sunsets or beautiful things. And of course, God reflects his glory through some of those things. But the point that he's trying to make here, the beauty of God is the character and nature of God. When I read about Genesis 1 and being God Almighty, the creator, that is beautiful. When I look at him as my savior and the work on the cross, though it is very painful, very gruesome, very challenging, it becomes beautiful because of the resurrection. I see the beauty of God and the character and nature of God as I pursue God. David said, I'm putting 
the first love in first place at such a time as this in the middle of my battles and wars because I need him. I want to encourage you to join us in the journey together. We are going to spend a lot of time, especially the next couple of weeks, just talking through what does it mean for you to personally connect with God on a daily basis? What does word, worship, and prayer look, for, look like for you? What is that, that space and place where you can cultivate maybe for the first time or maybe you can get back to it? But what I know is that you're made for him. You're made for union and communion. You're made for partnership. And we want to help everybody get there. And there is nothing to be embarrassed about if you've never been there. And there's nothing to be embarrassed about if you used to know, it felt like you were intimate with God and you're not today. We're just the big family room, man, is let's all just get back to Jesus. Let's just get back to him, whatever it takes. The disciples uh, were struggling a little bit in their prayer life. In Luke 11, verse one, they're asking Jesus how to pray. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place after he'd finished, one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray just as Don taught his disciples to pray. So it was. It happened to Jesus that he was praying. They were watching him and they were literally saying, I don't have that kind of prayer life. (laughs) I see them pray and that's not me. So Lord, would you teach me to pray like that? Because when you get up from prayer, you're glowing. When you get up from prayer, a demon runs at you and you cast it out. <laughs> when you get up from prayer, lepers are cleansed. This is, this is a powerful experience. We're not experiencing that. So would you teach us to pray? And then Jesus gives them this centerpiece of Christian orthodoxy, uh, the clarity point of how to pray. And again, I want to just read it again in Luke chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Isn't that a great prayer? Lead me not in temptation, but deliver me from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we have done long series preaching through this, but we're coming back to it as a centerpiece for you to have not only um, a framework to pray, but to give you a place of strength over and over and over again that you can keep going back to as a center point for how to pray. And one of the things we're going to be doing on Tuesday, starting this Tuesday, we're going to be taking the Lord's Prayer, teaching people how to do devotional lives. I'm going to be in there and taking you through as well as some other friends. And we're just literally going to have a a corporate quiet time. So if you want to have time with Jesus with us Tuesday, come on up to the prayer center. If there's too many people, we'll come over to the children's area. We're going to do this for 12 weeks. We're going to learn how to have a devotional life. And so many times you need to see somebody do it, feel it, taste it, touch it. So if you feel far from God and you don't know what it means like to have a devotional life or you need a fresh renewal, then come sit with us in the presence of God and we'll use the Lord's Prayer as a way to have a life-giving devotional life. I love this, uh, this uh, um, one statement one theologian makes. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked his guys to pray for an hour. They fell asleep, as many of us have when we determined to pray for an hour. They fell asleep, and then Jesus wakes them up, and he says, all right, my time's come, and, and they're a little embarrassed by it, and he says this, look, I know you're, the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak, right? So then Jesus, after his resurrection, sends the Holy Spirit into their flesh so they wouldn't be weak anymore. There is grace to pray 
because his spirit lives within us. And it happens powerfully when we do it in community that will hopefully empower you personally. Psalm 27, four, come join us in our personal devotional lives. All right, the other key anchor point, I, actually, I wanted this, this prayer uh, that we have related to that. Consume us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Isn't that a great prayer? I'm not just asking for a little help, God. Consume me. Woo! Have you ever had a moment where you felt like I'm being consumed by God? I've had a few of those moments and I want more of them. And here's the deal. To be consumed by God, you gotta invite God into that space. Consume my pain. Consume my fear. It's, it's the broken parts of our life, let alone the victorious parts of our life. Jesus, I wanna love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Come consume me. That's why we put that prayer on there that's gonna carry us over the next 12 weeks. We wanna be a Psalm 27 for people who are consumed with the love of God. The next anchor point, Psalm 24, verse seven. I already mentioned it earlier in the message. This was a Psalm. David's bringing the Ark of Covenant back into Jerusalem. And, um, and he, uh, he says this in Psalm uh, 20, uh, excuse me, got my little, uh, Psalm 24, open up the gates, Lord, open up, uh, uh, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. So David's saying, open up the gates, open up the doors. So he's coming into Jerusalem and they had gates and then there was doors into the tabernacle. He said, gate open up in the name of the Lord. Door open up in the name of the Lord. Let the king of glory come in. The prayer from the Lord's prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. I love it, you ought to do this when you get home today, unlock your door and say, king of glory come. I'm opening the door and inviting you into our house. We're inviting you into our homes. We're inviting you everywhere we go. We're speaking to the gates and the doors of our hearts and lives. And if you don't know the way, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. God, what is the way to open this gate? What is the way to open this door? I wanna listen to you and learn to walk with you so no gate or no door will keep me from seeing your glory and your presence in my house, in my heart, in my home, in the areas of my life. And as this second part of our commitment to seeing his kingdom come and his will be done, learning to open up gates and doors, I just want to encourage you in our life groups, another, here's another beg. I beg you, get involved in a life group in this 12-week journey if you haven't been. One of the things we're doing to help you, just like we're having a corporate quiet time on Tuesdays, we are also doing a corporate life group on starting Monday night, September 19th. We're making available. You can come, be here in the auditorium. There'll be people facilitating small groups and you'll get connected to community. But also we are going through a, a credible prayer series by our friend Pete Gregg from England. We're through all of our life groups. We're going through the prayer series on the Lord's Prayer. So what you hear on Sunday will be reinforced in a unique way through our life groups. And if you're in in your life group communities. We are believing God for personal breakthrough. We're believing God that you'll have, if you have a burden, you, that literally there'll be people there to stand with you to carry through your burden. That if you need a breakthrough, there'll be people to carry you through the breakthrough and we'll have core uh, su support for what God uh, is saying. And as a part of this kingdom coming, will being done, we are also, the prayer center is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We already have 30 something hours going. We will be at 168 by the time this series ends. God's gonna be speaking to many of you. And one of the ways that I wanna activate you and help you as well, 
myself and a team is going to be on Thursday afternoon. We've got a lot of days here, Tuesday, Thursday, Monday. We are offering every opportunity on Thursdays. We're going to teach you how to pray corporately. How do I do a prayer meeting where I feel like it's effective and powerful? So join us on Tuesdays for devotional time. Join us on Thursdays for corporate prayer. And or there's a little QR code going up. If you feel stirred to intercede and stirred to pray, then I want you to hit this, uh, click this QR code and you can be one of our prayer leaders for one of those 168 hours of prayer. Uh, I just met a lady again uh, that, that uh, just moved here and she said, I was involved in a house of prayer in Pasadena, California. I can't believe it that you guys are doing the same thing. I'm in, how do I, how do I get in? And so uh, it seems like half of California is moving here. So if you're from California and you moved here and you're looking to get activated in intercession, there's your opportunity uh, or, or anyone else. Well, here's the last one, Matthew 24, 14. This gospel, the kingdom, shall be preached in the whole world as testimony to all the nations, and then the end shall come. God's desire is that every person had the opportunity to hear the message of Jesus. He does that through prayer. He does that by people making themselves available. And our prayer related to the Matthew 24, 14 outcome is this simple prayer, fill us with power to proclaim your kingdom everywhere we go. So here's how it goes. If I get connected to the king and his kingdom through his church and begin to pray and intercede, then God will fill me with power to be a declarer of the kingdom everywhere I go. And what will happen by nature, I've seen this happen for 40 years. If you start seeking God and you start seeing breakthroughs locally, God will naturally say, where is Christ not? That's where he must be. It is not okay that I'm experiencing this, but somebody else isn't. Whether it's the Muslim world, Hindu world, Buddhist world, wherever in the world, God is not. God is wanting to be present. Of course, he is there in his sovereignty, but he is wanting to show up to declare the kingdom of God because he wants his house full for his glory. He wants the gospel preached in all the earth so that he can come. Wow. Big stuff, right? Big vision. Well, let me small up back down and tell you why we've got this piano here. Okay? I got to take you back to um, 1987 when we started a little missions training school with a few Baylor students who probably just didn't know what they were doing the next year, so they decided to join us. And um, we said, take a gap year. Let's spend nine months in the city studying the scriptures, worshiping, praying, seeking God, doing outreach in our inner city, and then let's go overseas for three months. That began our Antioch Discipleship School. At the time, we were at Highland Baptist Church. So, so grateful for Highland Baptist. Those are our roots. We're honored uh, to have them as our parents, if you will. And um, so we were at Highland Baptist Church, 1987, and you have the, the, the chapel area, which now called the chapel, was the main auditorium, and there was a, a building that was 80 years old in the back, three-story building, had a basement and two stories, and we met in there for our little training school, and things were going good, but the church was going through some struggles, and we were really compelled to learn how to pray, and we were really pressing in, and we were, once a month, we would do three days of prayer and fasting, and we would do 72 straight hours of prayer, and every week we were praying, and every day we were praying, and we were saying, God, would you move? God, would you move? Well, things didn't seem to be getting better in the church, and we were getting a little discouraged until the spring of 1988, um, a, a friend of mine who was praying with us, he had a dream. And in the dream, 
he, he, or he called me and he said, I had a dream from God. Now, again, those may be common for you, but for us at that time, that was not common. And he said, I had a dream from God. He said, uh, he said let's pray about what it means. He said, in the dream, um, I, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm standing out looking at the old building and fire hits, uh, the, the building begins to burn from the inside out, from the bottom up. It ends up burning and being gutted out. And then I, the dream fast forwards to a couple weeks later, there's a crane with a wrecking ball. It hits the side of the building. All the bricks fall down. A wind blows the bricks off. And on the foundation, it says, Jesus is Lord. So what do you think God's trying to say? Well, you know, I'm not that smart, but I, I think God's saying whatever he's pruning is going to be okay because he's clearing the decks to make way for himself. So, hey, God's answering our prayers in a unique way. And we were like, wow, you know, God's speaking. Our prayers are working. 36 hours later at midnight, he calls me. He says, you have to get up to the church right now. I can't tell you. You just got to come right now. I run up to the church and we're standing in the parking lot watching the building burn. And what had miraculously happened was that lightning had struck the building and somehow hit the furnace three floors down that was somehow still on pilot. This was the spring. And it caught fire and it burned the building from the inside out. A few weeks later, there was a crane with a wrecking ball that knocked down the bricks and they scraped it off. And now you have the building that they now have as their education building. 1988. At that same time, we were just in the first year of everything we were doing. We said, God, what are you doing with us? You, you know, help us, lead us, God, direct us. And in the burning of the building and all of that, God spoke to us that through the, through the death of one, he would raise another. So through the, through the brokenness, God brings life. And so that really launched us to everything that we do even today. So um, fast forward February of this year, 2022. If you guys were with us in January, we spoke out. God's called us to be a house of prayer. He's called us to ignite the boiler room is the, the phrase we've been using. God's called us to be a people of prayer. And um, in February, a friend of mine, uh, a very prophetic uh, uh, lady uh, from our Washington, D.C. church plant. We have a church plant in Washington, D.C. And she came into town and she said, you know, I had a unique dream uh, last night uh, as I came into town. And um, I felt like uh, God said to share it with you and that you would know what it meant. So here's the dream from February 2022. She said, um, uh, you and I are in the basement of a three-story building and the furnace catches on fire and begins to get out of control. And you are there and I'm getting very anxious. We got to get out of here. The building's on fire. And you calmly put your hand on my shoulder and you said, it's going to be okay. I've been here before. We'll be just fine. Remember, this girl knows nothing. Very few people even knew about that 1988 occurrence. It, she knows nothing about anything to do with this. So she tells me, and she says, then the dream goes on. And we don't get consumed on the first floor. Then the dream, then the fire hits the second floor. And everything starts falling all around us. And I get anxious again. And I said, Jimmy, we have to get out of here. The building's falling down. You graciously put your hand on my shoulder. You said, it's going to be okay. I've been here before. We'll be just fine. And somehow we miraculously survived the collapsing of the second floor. But the unique thing that happened on the second floor was this one circle kind of remained suspended in air, untouched by the flames. And on it, it had a grand piano. And worship and praise was going up even in the midst of the fire. Then she says the third the fire hits the third floor. And when it hits the third floor, I once again, I said, we got to get out of here. We've survived the first floor and the second floor. And you say, hey, 
It's okay. I've been here before. We're going to be just fine. And on the third floor, she says, the pipes burst, but the water keeps flowing perfectly. Wow, the structures burst, but the Spirit of God remains. And there we are, and in the, in, in the, basically, the dream ends. Immediately, I'm taken back to that 1988 experience where God would catalyze and begin to move in, not only through Highland, but begin to move through us and, and all the things that he would end up doing uh, around the world. It was a catalytic moment, though it seemed like a destructive moment. What the enemy turned one for evil, God turned for good. God used that powerfully. And so now in 2022, here we are. And the key, to the key issue that was in that dream, the fire dream in, of this, of, of February of 2022, was that worship and intercession prayers in the center. That's it, right? All right, one last piece, and then we're going to worship. One last piece. Our friends, um, uh, had called us in the fall, and um, they had called us and said, you know, we feel that the Lord is leading us to donate a piano, a grand piano, in honor of our grandmother, some different things God's put on our heart. And we're like, well, we're not the grand piano people, right? We've got a little keyboard. We've got a cool rock band. We, we, don't, we don't need the grand piano. And they said, no, we really feel like it's the Lord. We feel so compelled that it's God that we're just going to give it, and you guys need to do whatever you want, but we have to. This is what God has spoken to us. The dream hits in February. Now we know why we had the piano. And that's why we're here today. God has called us to prayer by his choosing. He's pursuing us. He's inviting us. If Owen and the team will come out right now, we want to just go back there here for the last few moments. I want to ask everybody to stand. I want to share one last part to the 2001 story. I'm coming back from Europe after getting the girls settled, coming out of prison and all that. And I'm going to preach on Sunday morning at Antioch and say, God, what do I tell the people? And he says, tell them to return to their first love. And I was like, what, God? The people have loved you, laid their lives out for you. And I felt like the Lord said so clearly, it's not a rebuke, it's just a centering. We're not the Heather Dana Church. We're not the Missions Church. We're not this, we're not that. We're the Jesus Church. And when we get him high and lifted up, when we get worship and prayer and intercession as the centrality of our lives, that one thing, that first love in first place, we become who we're called to be. If our prayer teams could come just to the right and to the left, I'm gonna leave those center section open. If you're here today and you've got, you're in a, feel like you're in a prison and you need to get set free, we want to pray for you. If you feel like you don't know Jesus, we're here to, we want to lead you to him. If you feel far from him, you need to come back. But prayer guys can scoot over there. We want to leave this wide open so that we can worship. So if you need prayer for anything, physical, mental, emotional, you need to come back to God. You need to come to God. You need to be set free from a prison you feel you're in or you need somebody to pray with you for somebody else. We're here for you always. Just start coming. We're going to come back to our first love. We're going to solidify our time with worship where we started this morning, and I encourage you to take the journey with us. He is worthy of our lives as we worship Him.